right, everybody else, if you turn to John chapter 17, please. John chapter 17. One of the hardest things to do is what Joe just sang about the idea of waiting on God. And I, and I, and I guess for the first time, I even, even the order of events where it says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. Because it takes courage to wait. Um, there's a story in the Bible about uh, Saul as the king, and Samuel was the prophet, and he, Samuel said, I'm, I'm going to come, and we're going to offer a sacrifice, and then we're going to go to battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines kept getting closer and closer and closer to Saul, and he couldn't find Samuel anywhere, and finally he goes, oh, I'm gonna do, I'll do the sacrifice. And so he started to offer the sacrifice, and Samuel shows up and says, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I... I, you know, I, I thought you weren't coming. I, I thought, you know, and it's like, well, you couldn't wait. <laughs> you couldn't wait. And uh, so sometimes waiting takes courage because it seems like things are getting, uh, you know, and, and how come it's taking God so long? And um, so that's uh, an uh, interesting combination of waiting on God and be of good courage. And also that is the idea that on Sunday nights we're talking about the Psalms and Every once in a while when you look at the Psalms, it'll have a little thing at the beginning that'll say uh, to use these kind of instruments when you sing this song and use this particular tune as a background tune for this particular song. So instructions are given sometimes in the Psalms in that regard. And so it's just kind of interesting. And uh, if I ever was to sing, I hope it sounds that good, okay? So it sounds very good. And so thank you, Joe, very, very much for sharing this morning. John chapter 17 is where we are. And um, to many people, um, <laughs> this is a very holy place to be in John 17, because we have the privilege of listening in on Jesus talking to his Father. Many, many times in Scripture, it, it talks about Jesus dismissed disciples or while they were asleep or on the way across the, uh, way across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus would go up on the mountain to pray and he would go apart from himself and pray and talk to God. Uh, this is a passage, a lengthy passage, where Jesus is talking to his Father and the disciples are listening. Or at least somebody listened. That's why we have the. <laughs> that's why we have the passage. Somebody listened. Somebody wrote it down, and so uh, it's a very sacred, very special thing. Uh, also, many people say, you know, when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, people go, oh, "Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come." Oh, that's the Lord's Prayer. Well, that is uh, a pattern for prayer that God has given us, but truly, honest to goodnessly, Jesus's or the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> is right here in John 17. It's the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. The Pharisees at this particular point, they are the key enemy. They want to see Jesus dead. That is the next plan on the agenda is, is we, we've got to kill him. And Jesus understands that this time is close at hand. He tells the disciples that I am leaving, but I will come back. I need you to be faithful. I need you to be watch. I need you to be ready. I need you to be wise while I'm gone. He meets with them at a special Passover meal instruction time. And, and the more I look at that, and, and even today's what I'm going to share with you, is the effort that Jesus put forth 
in this Passover instruction time, not necessarily to give them new information, but he wanted to comfort them. I'm, and, and if you think about the, the, the next series event, I'm leaving. What's about to happen is when we leave this place, we're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, a zillion billion soldiers are going to come and take me away. I'm going to be tried by the Sanhedrin. Uh, they're going to turn me over to the Romans and to Pilate. And, and there's going to be all the things that go along with this, the spitting in the face, the striking, hitting in the face, the stripes and the, um, the, um, the whips and the, all the stuff that goes along with it, the mocking and, this, and the you know, mockery as far as kings and scepters and crowns and all those kind of things. And then Jesus is going to be crucified. And as far as everybody knows, he's dead. And Jesus said, you're going to go through all these things in the next few hours, in the next few days. And the purpose of the Passover meal instruction is I want to comfort you. I want you to know that the devil is not winning. I want you to know that uh, this, is, this is part of God's plan. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. When I tell you this stuff, stop letting your hearts be troubled. Believe me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you. You're going to live with me forever. This thing ends very well. okay? And in the meantime, I'm going to send. When I'm gone, I'm going to send another comforter. I'm going to talk to my father. He's going to send another comforter like unto myself. The devil isn't winning. Now, you're going to expect you know, to be hated. You're going to be excommunicated. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. They're going to try to, uh, they're going to, try to kill you. I need you guys to have peace about this. I need you to love one another. I, I'm going to, this Holy Spirit is, is going to convict the world of their sin and what they've done. They're, they're going to convict the world that I am righteous and I am who I say I am. And there is a judgment and they need to be ready for that. But the Holy Spirit will also guide you and share truth with you. And everything that my Father and I want you to know, the Holy Spirit will tell you. A little while, and I'll be gone, and the world's going to rejoice. And you'll be very, very sad, very, very sorrowful as a woman with, in labor. But then in a little while, I'll be back, and you'll have so much joy that nobody will be able to take it away from you, ever. And you'll even forget the sorrow that you had. One day, he says, one day you'll see all this clearly. One day you will understand all of this. And they go, oh, 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 we do now. We, we get it now. We, we understand. We see clearly. <laughs> yes, we do. And he says, no, 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 you don't. Because in just a few hours or very shortly, you're going to be scattered. You're going to leave me alone. You're going to be every man for himself. And he says, I know, verse number 33, actually, actually, if you found 17, 16, verse 33, chapter 16, verse 33, he says, these things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He said, I know you don't completely understand, but I do want you to have peace. I have overcome the world. This ends well. Don't worry about the journey. I want you to know how it ends. It ends well. And that's the last thing we talked about was the idea that no matter what 
October of 2022 brings or whatever the world's mess may be in. Please know that it ends well for those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It ends well. Don't worry about the, the bad calls. Don't worry about the referees that aren't paying attention. Don't worry about the successes that it seems like the enemies are having. They don't win. They don't win. It's time for the disciples to take on the world. Jesus is preparing. He said, I, want you not to, I don't want you to lose heart. I, 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 I want you to stop worrying. I want you to have peace. And it's time for the disciples to take on the world. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. I, I don't want you to waver or give up. I want you to have peace. I, I want you to anticipate joy. And so in, a, in an effort to do this, Jesus has talked to them. But now what Jesus does is he prays for them and with them. He prays for them and with them. This is a prayer, Psalm, or John 17, is a prayer of comfort and it's a prayer of power. Imagine if you would again, Jesus allowing the disciples, and whether he prayed this prayer before they left the upper room, or whether he prayed this prayer on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, or whether he prayed it in Gethsemane. He has his disciples there at a place where they can hear, and he's talking to his father about our relationship with each other, my relationship or our relationship with these disciples, and all the believers to come. It's an amazing passage because it covers all these things. Jesus and God... Jesus and God and the disciples, and Jesus and God and us. We're actually included in John 17. Imagine if you are one of the disciples, and you've heard all this, and your brain is going like 90 miles an hour, and you're like, what's going on? What's going to happen? What? I don't, I don't. And Peter's going, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. It's like, I'm not going to deny. I won't deny. I won't deny. I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay firm. And, and Jesus, you're all going to run. You're all going to be scattered. And then they hear Jesus praying to his Father. Whether they did before this point, I do not know. Whether Jesus allowed them to listen in as... Now, there's sometimes where Jesus says things when he's healing somebody. He says, I'm talking to my Father so you'll know that it's, the power came from there. Sometimes he will make that reference so that you know that, I, you know, that this, is, this is part of my relationship with my Father. And we've heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But when Jesus wants to comfort them, he prays with them and for them. There is no doubt in my mind that the absolute best thing that my wife and I did with our children or for our children was to pray with them. Not just pray for them, but to pray with them. It's nice to have little devotional times and read the scriptures together and so forth. But I believe in, in my heart, I, I, you know, I certainly could be wrong and you might want to inquire from them and ask them their opinion of, and so forth, but I believe the most powerful thing that we did as parents with our three children is to pray with them. 
and pray for them in their hearing so they can hear you pray for them. My daddy, my mommy, is talking to God about me. There is nothing more comforting, there is nothing more powerful in this world than for a child to say, my mom, my dad, they're talking to God about me. Never stop praying with your children. Sometimes we do it, oh, they're little, and we pray with them when they're little, five and six. I suggest you pray with them when they're seven and eight, 10 and 11, 15 and 16, 18, 19, 20, 21, every chance you get. Pray for them, pray with them. Because it gives them comfort. It gives them assurance. It's a powerful thing. Power and peace when children are exposed and they hear the parents praying for them. Our prayer would be similar to this. My oldest daughter's name is Amy. And we would say, Lord, thank you for Amy. Thank you that she's a part of our family. Help her in her schoolwork. She's got a test tomorrow. Help her to do well in her test. Help her with the friendship with the little girl, neighbor girl, and this little neighbor girl doesn't know the Lord. Help her to be an example. Help her to be a testimony for her and a witness. Help her to be kind to her brothers for a change. Okay? Help her to be an example. Help her to have a good day. Help her to do what's pleasing in your sight. That's the kind of prayer. And the child never has to wonder, does my mommy love me? Does my daddy love me? Do they care about me? Do they want my best, have my best interest at heart? And no matter what the day brings, no matter what hassles and difficulties the day may bring, if you pray with your children, it changes the whole thing. I, I believe you should have family prayer before everybody leaves in the morning if you can do that. You have all kinds of different time schedules and all that kind of stuff. Pray in the morning before you leave the house. Or at the very least, pray before bed in the evening. Pray with your children. Pray with them. Pray for them. Um, Jesus prays in order to comfort and give peace to his disciples. He prays aloud in their presence. That means something. By the way... He's going to talk about what they're going to have to face. It's kind of interesting. In, in verse number 33, again, of, of chapter 16, it says, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Do you know in, the, in this next section in 17, which is the Lord's Prayer, 19 times he mentions the world? 19 times Jesus is going to talk about the disciples' relationship with the world. Because what he's doing is he's leaving and I'm leaving you to handle the situations as far as the world is concerned. And so let's take a look at it. I have psalms on my brain today. Um, It'll be all right tonight when I say it. Um, John chapter 17, verse number one. These words spoke Jesus. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. 
As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Wow, wow, wow. He says, first of all, the time has come. The hour is come. He's told the disciples in this Passover time, he says, it's, it's, it's time. Uh, it's, it's, it's at hand. Uh, I'm only going to be able to be with you very shortly. Uh, in a little while, I'll be gone. The time has come. The hour has come. Uh, earlier in his ministry, when he first begins his ministry, uh, Mary recommends uh, that the uh, person in charge of the wedding feasts, you know, contact my son, see if he can't do something about the, the wine problem that you're experiencing. And Jesus says to Mary, my hour has not yet come. Mary wants, show the world who you are. Show the world what you can do. Show the world that you are God's son. Show the world your power and your might and your awesomeness. Do it now. And Jesus takes a few servants off to the side and, and turns the water into wine so a handful of people know about it because he says, my hour has not yet come. Later, Jesus, after ministering and being, spending some time with his own family, his brothers say to him, hey, when you go to the Feast of Tabernacles, why don't you, you know, you know, do something incredible. You're supposed to be the Son of God. Do something, you know, so people know that you are who you say you are and, and, and prove it to everybody. And Jesus tells them, my hour has not yet come. It's not time for that. But now he says the hour has come. The hour has come to show everybody in the world who I really am. And it's kind of funny because it's, it's, you think about it from the standpoint, okay, well, he's about to be crucified, but it's not the crucifixion so much that he's talking about. What happens after the crucifixion is the resurrection. Uh, what's better than that, okay? Uh, and so he says, I'm going to show the world it is time. The hour has come. And then he says, his request is, Father, I want you to glorify the Son. Jesus will give the world, the, hour, the time has come for the world to have the right opinion of me. When we talk about glorify, it's the idea of having the right opinion of. So Jesus says, I want the world to have the right opinion of me. When Jesus rises from the dead, the world will have the right opinion of, of him. He is God's son. He is who he says he is. He's not a blasphemer. He's not weak. He's not a liar. He's not in league with the devil. He's not a traitor. He's not a fraud. He is the true Son of God. And so when he rises from the dead, the world will know that he is God's son. And then he says, I also want to glorify you. We want the world, it's time for the world to get the right opinion of the Father. And that has been Jesus' ministry from the start, from the very beginning. If you, if you remember, as we look back over all the things that have transpired, all the things that have taken place, Jesus' goal and ministry, I, I want to glorify my Father. I want you to know that my Father sent me. I am a gift from my Father. I want you to know. And, and what he wants them to know is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
I want you to know, and the right opinion of God is that he loves you. The right opinion of God is he loves you so much that he sent me to die for you. Jesus is going to die on the cross for man's sins so the world will know of God's love. So he says, I want them to have the right opinion of me that I am God's son, and I want them to have the right opinion of God that he loves mankind. And all of that is going to be fulfilled in the cross for sure, the cross and the resurrection. Salvation, by the way, is, is directly linked. We want to have the right opinion of the son, the right opinion of the father. Your salvation and my salvation is directly linked to what is your opinion of Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? What do you think Jesus is? What is your opinion of God? Our salvation is directly linked to knowing exactly who Jesus is. And so he says, the time has come for the world to get the right opinion of me. The time has come for the world to get the right opinion of the Father. The time has come for eternal life to be given. Verse number two, he says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Uh, eternal life is to be given. Jesus is, has power over all the people. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he has power over death to as many as. To as many as. Eternal life. And, and what are we talking about this eternal life? We're not talking about just uh, prolonging physical life. We're not talking about just raising the dead to prolong physical life. That's what happened with Lazarus. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, he did not have eternal life. He just had longer human life. But Jesus has the power to give eternal life. And eternal life is knowing or having the right opinion of God that you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It is knowing Jesus Christ is God's gift to mankind. And that leads us to eternal life. <clears throat> Passages here, the obvious ones. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And again, if I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior <clears throat> and I have eternal life, when does that go away? Never, ever, 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 ever. I have a pen in my pocket. If I was to give it to Rosetta and say, I am going to give you this pen for all eternity. Okay? When do I expect to get this pen back from Rosetta? Never. Okay? And she'll probably hold me to it, too, so I'm keeping my pen. All right, so the, the idea is if, if, if I have eternal life, when do I, it, it's not eternal life if I can lose it. You do understand that if it's, all right. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. That's the love of God that I, I wanted to save mankind. <clears throat> so he that believeth on him, he that believes on Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not, if you find yourself in the Pharisee category of it's like I don't think so, well, you're condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Later in John 3, it says, For... He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loves the Son, and hath given all things into his hands. 
He that believes on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, there's another passage, of course, that you're very, very familiar with, John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Shorten it, I am the way to the Father. I am the way. And so it's time. It's time to show the world who Jesus is. It's time to show the world who God is. It's time to show the world uh, that eternal life has been given. It's time to finish the work. Finish the job. Finish the work that God has called him to do. Verse number 4, 17 verse 4 says, I have glorified thee on earth. Jesus acknowledges the fact that that has been my goal from the very start. I have, I have given uh, the, uh, the right opinion of God on this earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That's interesting as well. Uh, he's not died on the cross yet. He's not risen from the dead yet, but he says, I've finished the work. Now, this could be a, you know, up to this point, so far, so good. I've done exactly. I, I've lived my life to glorify you, and everybody on earth knows that I've I'm trying to give the right opinion of God, and I've finished the work that you've called me to do. And so he could could be saying, so far, so good, or he could be just looking ahead saying, it it is done. (laughs) It's as good as done because I'm going to do this. And and what does he say? The last words on the cross are, it is finished. It is finished. It is done. It is paid in full. It's, It's done. It's been taken care of. And he says, it's as if it's already done. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. This is why I was sent. I was sent to seek and to save that which was lost. I I was sent to give man a way to have access to God. I was sent to show men God's love for them. I finished the work. I finished what you've asked me to do. Occasionally, occasionally somebody has a close call with, with death or... Uh, a near-death experience or a car accident or something of that nature, and you survive, and, well, and somebody will most likely say, oh, boy, you know, God must have more for you to do, or you haven't finished, the, haven't finished all that God has planned for your life. I think about that, and it's like, uh, if God waited to take me home till I finished all that God has wanted me to do, I'm going to live to be about 378 years old, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, because it's like, which one of us can, can say, I, I've done exactly, I, I've, I've finished exactly the course that God has given me. I've done exactly what God wants me to do. I've, I've fulfilled every part that God has chosen for me. And it's like, wow. When Jesus says, I've finished, I've done exactly what God has asked me to do. I've finished the course. I've, I've finished. I've finished the work which thou sent me to do. The Apostle Paul said this and. 2 Timothy 4, he says, I don't, do I have it up here or not? Uh, yes, no, next, I don't think so, okay. Um, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course that God has set for me. I, I think John the Baptist finished the course. I, I, John the Baptist's life seems to be prematurely taken as as he's arrested during the life and time and ministry of Jesus, he's arrested, put in prison, and beheaded at the, at the dancing of Salome's daughter. And um, 
or at, at the dancing of Salome, the daughter of Herodias, and uh, he is beheaded, and it's like, it just seems premature, it just seems early, but he completed the work that he was set to do. He was the forerunner of Christ, he was the one who was prepared the way of the Lord, and he did exactly that. And then we have James, who I, we, we're talking about these 12 disciples, I'm preparing them for the world, I'm preparing them, I'm leaving, and I'm preparing them to take on the world and, and to be a testimony and, and glorify me. And it's not but a few months or less after Jesus resurrects and goes to heaven that James is taken by Herod and beheaded and, and put to death. Of the Peter, James, and John. And you think of all the things that James saw, all the things that James was exposed to as one of the three closest disciples, and he was the first to be martyred. But evidently he had finished the work that God had asked him to do. It's time, time has come for the world to see who Jesus is, the world to see who get the right opinion of God. It's time for the world to know eternal life has been given and I've finished the work and it's time for them to know and it's time to restore things like they were. Remember Jesus has already said to them, he says, you know, you guys are so worried about me leaving, you should be saying, ask me where I'm going and, and how is this going to be for me? None of you seem to be interested in my well-being and and he says, I'm, I'm going back to my father. I'm going to be restored to the glory. Uh, remember we used that illustration a while back uh, of, of a worm where my dad says, I, I want you to be a worm and I want you to minister to the worms. <coughs> well, it's time to, you know, it's time to not be a worm anymore. Woohoo! Okay. Do you understand? <laughs> uh, somehow we think, you know, when Jesus became a man and he came to earth and dwelt among us, and, but the Bible talks about the fact that he limited himself in, uh, in, in, in what he, you know, he, he, it says he emptied himself. He willingly chose not to use some of his godly attributes. Um, he, he was no less God, but he just chose not to use these. And to be able to say, okay, I don't have to be a worm anymore. <laughs> Do you think there was a little bit of joy there with Jesus where he's like, this is... You know, this, this stuff is over. I can go back to the glory. I can go back to the position where I was before. And, and actually, it turns out better for him because he's exalted to a place above everything that it, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. John talks about it. In the very beginning of the book, he says, in the beginning was the word, capital W, referring to Jesus himself, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. This is talking about Jesus. He's the Creator God. He's not just a, you know, sitting around with nothing to do. He's Creator. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him is life, and the life was the light of men. You've heard how I said unto you, I go away, and I come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go to the Father, for my Father that is greater than I. In this particular state, in this human state that I find myself in, my Father is greater than I. But I'm going to be restored to that so that, in Philippians, Paul writes, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who again, Jesus, in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That phrase is, Jesus wasn't stealing anything or taking anything that didn't belong to him for him to be restored to equal with God. He didn't, he didn't get it by subterfuge or whatever the case may be. He didn't steal it. He didn't rob it. Uh, he is equal with God. He's restored to this place. 
But what Jesus did was he made himself of no reputation. And this is the idea of he emptied himself and became, took on him in the form of a servant, servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of this, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Exalted him. He's equal with God. He says, I, it's time. If you look at verse number five. And now, Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And now we begin at verse number six, where Jesus prays for his disciples. In one through five, he talks about the relationship. Father, I've done what you've asked me to do. It's time for the world to get the right opinion of me, the right opinion of you. It's time that they know that we've provided eternal life for them. It's time uh, my work is finished here. It's time for me to restore things to way, the way they were. And then he says, I have manifest, or I have made known thy name unto the men which thou hast given me out of this world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they believed that thou didst send me. He starts out by talking to his father and says, these men, right here, these men have believed my words. I've told these men all about you. I've manifested thy name. The word manifest means to declare, to make known, to unveil, to reveal, to open up. I've manifested thy name, and, and the name of God would be his character, uh, everything about God and, and who he is and his nature. He says, I've, I've told them all about you. I've revealed to them as they, as they see me and observe me, they know you. If, you. if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've done my best. I've told these men all about you. And then he says something very, very interesting. He says, I have manifest my name to these men which you gave me. These are my disciples. Where'd they come from? Jesus said, you gave them to me. You gave them to me. So what does that tell me? What does that tell me about, let's take Peter before he meets Jesus. What does that tell me about Peter before he meets Jesus? It tells me that Peter belonged to God before, Jesus, before God gave him to Jesus. Peter already had a heart for God. <laughs> Seems interesting, doesn't it? Peter was willing to believe and accept. He already had a heart for God, wanting to hear, wanting to know. James had that same heart, and John had that same heart. Matthew, the tax collector, had that same heart. They had a heart for God, and, and so when Jesus shows up, it's like, there he is. This is the one. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And they do. And Peter falls at Jesus' feet because God, he already belonged to God. He already had a yearning and a longing for God. Uh, they were God's men before they were Jesus' disciples. They were godly men waiting for more information. In some sense, 
(laughs) You and I may be in that same category from the standpoint of God had already prepared your heart for the time when you hear the truth of God's word that I, I believe it, I receive it, I understand it. An open heart, a ready heart that God had prepared. He said, these are men that you gave to me. God knew their heart. God knew their response. You know, which disciple, there's none recorded, of course, but which disciple was it that Jesus walked up and says, come follow me? And they went, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> which, which one said, nah, probably not. Have a nice day. <laughs> there's no re- recollection of that. There's no recording of that. Now, he, even reco- he actually was able to recruit one that wasn't one of his. <laughs> one that didn't belong to God, one that was the son of perdition. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit as well, in a little bit next week. Um, But he says, he said, I've told these men about you. You gave these men to me. And in verse number 80, it says, these men have received and believed. They've kept your word, verse number six. They've guarded and valued your word. They know that my words are your words, verse number seven. And they know you sent me. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them. They have known surely that I came out from thee, and I believe that thou hast sent me. What is the difference between them and the Pharisees? This is exactly what the Pharisees did not believe. (laughs) Where did Jesus come from? Ask Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ask the Pharisees. I don't know. Um, You're in league with the devil. Okay, a little bit of difference there, just a, just a tad. Where did I come from? Why have I been sent? He said, they believed. And he says, these men have believed my words. These men are going to bring glory to myself. Verse number nine, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. They belong to you and they belong to me. I love this. They were yours before they were mine, but now they're ours together. They belong to you and they belong to me. If you know me, you've known my Father. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but I pray for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. All mine are thine and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. I almost want to break off to the husband-wife thing. It says, what's hers is hers and what's mine is hers. And it's like... What? <laughs> you know. Um, and again, you shouldn't have in your bathroom, you shouldn't have towels his and hers. It should say ours, okay? And then you don't know where, you know, the, you know, where all the dirt came from. We don't know who's responsible. Um, but but um, what's, what's thine is mine and what's mine is thine. Everything that belongs to Jesus is God's. Everything that belongs to God is Jesus. He says, I pray for them. I pray for them. And again, going back to this comfort aspect of things, I pray for them. Jesus says, and again, if you're one of the, the reaction would be, God, these men, I've told them everything I know about you. I've done my, I've done my best to reveal your character and your personality and who you are to them. He said, these men have believed. He said, these men belong to you before they belong to me, and you're the one who gave them to me. And they've believed, and they've received, and they, they know who I am, and they know where I came from. And they're going like, 
He says, I'm praying for them because they're going to have a very tough time in the world. And I'm praying for them. I remember, and I'll close with this, I remember, uh, shocked to my system, I went to a, I grew, went to a public school all the, all the days of my life, and I believe it had a very good education. I, I, learned, I learned how to cipher fairly well and, and, and speak sort of, kind of, huh? you know. Uh, and somewhere around third or fourth grade, we stopped having uh, prayer time and devotions. Uh, that shows you how old I am. It's like 1963, something like that. But I went on, eventually I went on to a secular college for a little time, and then I went on to Bible college. And I remember uh, in Bible college, I remember very well the first test I ever took in Bible college was in a a class in Genesis. And I was getting ready to take the test, and the teacher said, before we take the test, we're going to pray. And the teacher prayed for me to do well on the test. And I was like, what? Up to that point, up to that point in my life, I thought, well, it's the, teacher, it's the teacher's job to ask us test questions in order for us to miss some, because they get great joy out of marking things wrong, and, and the teacher is the enemy, and I have to outsmart the enemy, and I have to do better than they thought I was going to do, and all of a sudden, this teacher's praying for me to do well. The teacher's praying for me to remember stuff, and I'm like, what? And... And, you know, and those of, you that are, those of you that attend a Christian school and you hear this all the time, uh, this was like foreign to my ears. The teacher is actually, the teacher wants me to do well? The teacher wants me to succeed? The teacher wants me to remember? The teacher wants me to come up with correct answers? That's because they didn't want to deal with our parents. Um, <laughs> but the idea is like, seriously. And here's Jesus says, I want them to do well. I want them to be successful. I want them to be, have a purpose. I want them to have joy. I want them to be successful. I want your blessing upon them. I want your protection over them. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus is going to pray for his disciples for. And he says, guys, I want you not to worry. And what does he do? He prays for them. He prays for them. <clears throat> No substitute for Jesus praying for his disciples in this area of comfort. No substitute for you praying with and for your children. Father, thank you for the time we've had this morning to look at your word. As we look at this area of Jesus praying for his disciples, for them to be successful, for them to do well, for their well-being. Father, it had to bring some comfort and some level of peace to their heart and to their soul. Father, we pray. I pray for parents, Lord, that are here today, that you would help them to without ceasing pray with and for their children. Help them to hear, do, uh, the children would hear how mom and dad feel and how, what mom and dad wish for God to do as far as their lives are concerned. Lord, it's powerful stuff. May we take advantage of it.
Thank you for your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.